0: You can find them at megavoice.com or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program.
1: Hi, this is Jenny Beth Gardner with the Transformational Education Network called Ten Three, And you're listening to the Engaging Missions Radio Show. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger.
0: Hi. I wanted to mention before we get into today's episode that this is going to be a special edition of the Engaging Missions Show. Normally, I have interviews with missionaries, ministry leaders, and church planters, but with everybody traveling over the holidays, I wanted to take a quick break from that, make sure that when I have people on that they're getting the best possible exposure that I can because they're taking time out of their schedule. So instead, I have for you something that I think is kind of special. It's a couple of things that I've shared at our church. I thought I'd put them in here because normally I have somebody else on the show and you might not have a a good opportunity to get to know me. So this might be some time to learn a little bit more about my story and kind of what's going into this. Hope you enjoy it. And if you want a regular episode, check back after January 1st, 2016.
1: When we, when we went into this year about talking about living drenched, and I just set up a bunch of people and asked them for their testimonies, and they're by no means are the only ones who can give testimonies. But uh, one of the ones, all, I looked forward to all of them, but one of the ones I was really looking forward to was the one this morning. Would you welcome Brian Ensminger?
0: Hi, my, my name is Brian. Who are you? Since I'm not up playing the saxophone anymore, I don't know quite as many people in second service because we typically go to the first, but it's a real pleasure to be here today. I've I've known that this is coming for a while, about a year or so, and in that time of preparation, I've been kind of working through things in my mind, and I've rewritten this 50,000 times, something like that, and every time I see myself on the stage and I'm always asking, what in the world are you doing up there? And there's a specific reason for that, because a few years ago, probably 10-ish or 15 years ago, I was at a different church, just on a vacation, and I happened to know the pastor there. And he was, he was reading his sermon, and it was really dry. And I remember thinking, I could do so much better than that. And God said, no, you, God said, no, you couldn't. You don't love these people. I was like... It's the idea of walking into a parent and saying, you know what, I could be a better father to your kids because I make better icing on my birthday cakes. And so since that time, I've not done anything to get myself here. Does that make sense? In, in my time of preparation, I'm certainly trying to be diligent. I'm trying to do everything, but I've not done anything to put myself here. In fact, I tend to actually move against anything that looks like it mo- would put me here, not because I want to fight against God, but because I'm trying to Let that thing die. And so, you know, being here now today, I did try to be diligent. I wore a nice shirt. I think I look pretty good. It's black. It's slimming. I've lost a few pounds in the last few years. But what you don't know is there are holes in my shoes. I mean, literally, there are holes in these shoes. I wear them probably twice a month, so I'm a little too cheap to buy new ones. Not because I can't, just because, I mean, seriously, twice a month. But these are the, you know, I walk around, I want people to see my good shirt, I'm not so happy about people seeing that I have holes in my shoes. And it's that way with my life as well. It's that way with my testimony. And there are parts of my testimony that I'm happy to share. You know, usually the parts that make me look good. (laughs) Right? I remember that time when I did this amazing thing, and yeah, you can get it. I'm not so happy to share the holes in my shoes or the cracks in my foundation. But see, Jesus didn't die just to redeem the fancy shirt. He also didn't die just to fix the shoes. Christ died to redeem all of me. The whole story, the whole thing, past, present, and future, the whole thing was redeemed by him. And so I have to be honest. Obviously, I'm not going to share everything here today. For one, there's not time. And two, it's not really appropriate for me to take everything off. (laughs) Right? And And the same thing happens with our story. There are times when it's contextually okay To share parts and there are times when it's not okay to share those same things. So I'm gonna share what I think is appropriate. My hope today is that as I share my story, that God will give you some clarity on your story, that God will speak to you about his heart for you, about how he's sewed into your life, about how he's taken you from where you are to where you or where you were to where you are. Goes that way. And I want to remind you that your testimony, our testimonies are powerful. From Revelation, we hear that, talking about the church, that they defeated him, the the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and that they didn't love their lives even to death. To me, that means, one, Jesus. right? Two, they told the story. They weren't afraid to tell the story, even if it meant death. And sometimes that can mean death to sharing things that you don't want to share. As I think about my story, and I'll I'll get a little bit further than this in a minute, there have been some times where I didn't have a lot of clarity on what God was doing. And I think probably there are some people here who are in that same situation where maybe you're looking at the hole in your shoe and going, God, why'd you give me holy shoes? That kind of sounded funny. Why'd you give me shoes with holes in them? (laughs) And I believe that God can give us Clarity on those things. If there are areas in our life where we are blinded, I believe that God can give us that. Because in Luke 4, Jesus quoting from the prophet says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So today, as I tell my story, I'm going to tell it in three parts. I'm going to call it the story of the scrapbook, Instagram and the postcard. In case you haven't guessed, the scrapbook represents the part of my life that is now past. It's still part of my life. But there's actually nothing I can do to impact it. It's already gone. The thing about scrapbooks, you know, they're they're the places where we store mementos, locks of hair from that first haircut. My mom still has mine. That yeah, I know, it's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> that Polaroid of your kid. You know, with the the birthday cake just smashed up there, right? But with time, what can happen with a scrapbook is those things can fade or get lost. And we can, they, they can get torn. They can be damaged. And we can begin to see things differently than they were. In fact, in some instances, the scrapbook can actually be so damaged that we actually think things are different, completely different than what they were. I'm going to share a couple of stories from my scrapbook, if you will. I stand before you as a person absolutely without excuse. Because in my life, I've had tremendous benefit in knowing Christ. My dad, when I was born, was a pastor. He was a pastor for a few years and then served faithfully in another local body for going on 40 years. I've kind of lost track. My mother and my dad met at a Bible school. They were both strong believers. Most of their family, if not all of their family are believers. The vast majority of my cousins are believers. My grandmother on my dad's side taught Sunday school for, I think, like a thousand years. Um, I remember the story of her out in a field praying when she was a young girl and God saying, if you will teach Sunday school, you'll live a long time. And she's 90 something. And year after year after year, She poured into those kids, little girls she taught. My grandfather ran a bus ministry. My grandfather and grandmother on the other side raised a very large family and were very faithful in their local church. My great-grandparents were involved on some level in some kind of church planting or church development, that kind of thing. My father-in-law, I didn't really do anything to get into this, but my father-in-law has been a judge in Atlanta for years and has been responsible for huge changes in how... um, affirmative action has taken place about people who are being oppressed being released from that kind of thing my grandmother on that side was an engineer and probably helped send rockets into space i mean crazy stuff that was in my family my brother was a youth pastor then he was a district super or district youth director now he works for the assemblies of god helping define the global curriculum for children's ministry my my wife was a missionary for four and a half years My sister-in-law is a priest. My brother-in-law is a pastor. And I help ship pet food around the country. But see, I have something that my dad had. He was faithful in a local body for years. And God honors the faithfulness. See, we look at results. We look at sacrifice. We think that sacrifice is everything. or We think that results are everything. What matters is obedience. And that can put you in some hard places where you don't feel so good about yourself or where other people don't feel so good about you. But obedience, faithful obedience is where that's at. In the middle of all of that, I obviously grew up in a church. My parents had us there all the time. And I remember one of the stories from when I was young. We used to have these, you know, you'd go to church on Sunday morning and then in Sunday evening, because Sunday morning wasn't enough, you'd meet again for a prayer service. And so you'd go in, you'd sing a couple songs, and you'd pray for like 17 hours or something. And as a six or seven-year-old, those were excruciating. Because you can't talk, you can't draw, you can't do anything. But what I remember was that during those times, my dad would come and he would get either me or my brother. My parents would swap off. And we would go and we'd pray. Now, my dad could pray. I was like, dear Jesus, help me, I'm done. Right? because I was like six or seven, I can go like eight seconds longer than that now. Um, But my dad could pray. And even though those times in my life were difficult for me to kind of get through, I mean, you know, it was like an hour. And for a seven-year-old, that's almost till the end of the world. I believe that what what God did in that life was he used what my parents were doing, those interactions to plant seeds in our lives that are now bearing fruit. Even though I didn't feel like I connected with that, I believe that God poured something into my life. And for those of you who are who are parents, that's my encouragement to you. As you think of your kids and your grandkids, what can you do to pour that kind of faithfulness into their lives? Because I believe that that will bear fruit for eternity. So I come from that kind of background. You know, I didn't drink or smoke or chew. I didn't go with girls that do. I went to you know I went to a school. I hung around with Christians mostly because non Christians were bad. Even though if they went to, like to the Lutheran church because we didn't know they were believers at the time. <laughs> It was the 80s right we were a lot, we were confused about a lot of stuff <laughs> apparently baptists love jesus too i know i was so surprised so I, I grew up in that environment where also you didn't go to a university you didn't go to a state school because that's where people go to fall, get fall away from god was it like 85 percent fall away or something like that i don't know this i made the stat up i really don't know what it is so i went to a christian school because that's what you do I went to a very good Christian school. It wasn't a Bible school, but they taught a lot of the Bible. And while I was there, I did the most amazing thing. I fell away from God. Wow. So we're going, to, we're going to chapel five days a week, and I'm looking for every opportunity I can look for to skip. I wasn't involved in a local body because I didn't really connect with any of them. I didn't really have anybody other than a few friends speaking into my life. And I did a, a lot of things that led me down the wrong path while I was there. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't send your kids off to a Christian school. I can't tell you what God's plan is for their lives. What I can tell you is that when I was there, while other people were following hard after God, I was looking for opportunities to get out. Because I guess I thought that I could do a better job. Or at least it would be more fun. And while I was there, that led really to what I consider the single biggest failure in my life. And I've shared a little bit about this before. While I was there, I met somebody. It was a girl. And we dated, we got married, and because we weren't involved in any kind of local fellowship other than going to chapel where they don't really talk about that kind of thing anyway, things did not go well. We weren't, I mean, for any number of reasons, things went really, really poorly. And even after school, things went poorly. And that spiraled down and down and down until finally we got to the place where it was done. And so I took that wonderful win and I ran with it and I thought, well, I'll try and do some more things for myself. And ended up at the place where one day... I woke up in my 430-foot-square-foot square apartment, give or take a few feet. I think they were a little generous in their sizing. And I thought, you know, I don't know that what I remember from church camp is really all that that was about. Not distant church camp, right? I don't think this is really all that, all that it was, or at least my recollection of it. But that was better than this. I will take that any day over this. And so I came, actually what ended up being back, to Smyrna Assembly, primarily because coming here worked better with my work schedule. And I had an encounter with God, and I basically said, look what I can do. Let's see what you can do. And in that time, God changed everything. No, not not everything immediately, for sure. But he took me from having no friends, because I was a bit of a jerk. I was hurting. I was in a difficult place. To having friends. Now, very few of those friends are still here. Most of them have gone on to other churches or other places. But God put people in my life, right? God took advantage of the fact, in a good way, of the fact that I had no social life near me. I had, no, I, I had work, and all of my friends lived in Smyrna, and I lived in Murfreesboro. And at the time, that was like almost on the other end of the world. So when I had time alone in my 430-square-foot foot, square foot apartment, all by myself with nothing but a night, you know windows 95 computer that didn't really work anyway i went on long walks with god not so much because i wanted to get away with god but because i didn't have anything else to do i mean really i didn't have anything else to do and god used that time to form me and to build me into the person that he has he made those psalm 84 talks about walking through the valley of tears and making it a place of springs god did that in my life And I can stand before you, and I can honestly say that whether it's the holes in the shoes or the fancy shirt, God has used, it's really not fancy, it's from Kohl's, it's really nice, thank you, Ray. But (laughs) God has used every single part of my life to bring me here. And as I look back with some level of clarity now, I can see how God's hand was over all of that. As I think about that, my suspicion is that there are probably at least a few people in this room who are wondering what's up with the holes in my shoes. God, why did you give me these shoes? Why why do I have something in my life that was broken? I I don't know that I can give you the answer, but I do know who can because he did it for me. That moves me from the scrapbook to Instagram. I happen to like Instagram. I'm not terribly active on there, but it's a lot of fun. Instagram, to me, talks to being the Polaroid of our, well, your generation. I guess I'm getting older now. <laughs> see, there's a, there's a difference, and it's not just the difference between taking a picture and, not, and having it, you know, in 45 seconds later you got a picture. I mean, seriously, you take a picture, it's on your phone, and everybody gets to see it in about half a second flat, right? But there's something else that's really interesting about Instagram. You can choose right now to create immediate nostalgia. You can take a picture of reality, and you can choose to apply a filter to it that makes things look different than they are. Right? So when we look back in our scrapbooks and we go, wow, I remember those good old days, whatever those were, we can do that now. And the way we see reality shapes how we act. I'll come back to Instagram in a second. I'm now in my 40s, and I'm beginning to get to the place where I have what are commonly called 40 eyes. That means at some point, I may need some kind of external apparatus to help me see things better. (laughs) Some of you have probably seen them. Some people need them younger than others. I probably needed them a few years ago, but I tend to live in denial, because I like to think that I see things properly, right? That same kind of thing happens in our lives, whether through the effects of age, or the effects of intention, sometimes we, ch- we either see or choose to see things as though they really are not. And what makes it even more exciting is now that we live in a time of instant nostalgia or instant change, we can look at something and go, you know what, I don't think I like the way that looks. I'm going to choose to see it differently. Sometimes that's good if you're applying a God filter, or what we like to call the Bible. But if you look at that and go, you know what? I think I'll just crop that part of my life out, and we'll just pretend that didn't happen. Instant Instagram. We'll just cut that section out. We won't like that. And if we really really can't figure it out, we'll go buy another filter pack from somebody else who has a different set of filters, and they say, you know what? We just won't call that sin. I know that's in the Bible, but that one's really not a sin. Or we'll say, you know what? We'll just ignore that part of your life. Or, you know what? Every day and every way, things are getting better and better see, God didn't die to make you rich. I'm okay if you're rich, please. By all means, God did not die for that purpose, though. And we'll, we'll get back to that in a little bit. See, we like to apply those things to our lives in ways that make us feel comfortable or at least make us feel really good about discomfort. Kind of got off my notes for a second. I guess that was free. One of the interesting things about getting older is not only do do I probably need some external apparatus to see things clearly, commonly known as glasses, I also have perspective. I don't know that I have the perfect perspective, but I have a little bit more perspective because I can look back over the years and see how things work. And one of the things I've recognized is that there are seasons. You probably think of seasons like winter, summer, spring, fall. They don't go in that order. I know somebody got that. There are those kinds of seasons in our lives, right? I'm in one of those seasons right now. If I were to guess, I would say I'm somewhere between end of spring and early summer. And the reason I would say that is because the season God has me in right now, I am crazy busy, right? I work full-time, which means about 45-ish hours a week plus commute time. I have a podcast. I manage a few websites. I have a family. I take care of some email newsletters. And so it's a very, very busy time for me. Some people would probably look at me and go, you're just living the American lie that you can do everything. Maybe I am. I don't know. I I really believe that I'm doing what God would have me do. But what happens then is I don't always feel like I'm resting in God. Right? I still have times of daily devotion. I still spend time in the word. Sometimes it doesn't feel there. I'll get back to that. I hope. But what's interesting is God's got me in this time where I am pushing hard or I'm working hard when it's time to work, but then I have to come back and rest and refresh and go out and work hard and come back and, rush and refresh, rest and refresh, just like somebody who's working a field. And in the season that I'm in, I believe that what God is teaching me is actually to walk in the rhythms of his grace. See, we, we sing that song, I find I'm moving in the rhythms of his grace, and what we think is, oh, well, it means I'm floating on some kind of magic blanket through the world. No. Not always. Sometimes it means work and rest and work and rest and work and rest and work and rest. And my encouragement to you is if you're not really feeling it right now, but you know that you're being obedient to God, work and rest. On the flip side of that, I also know that sometimes my devotional time doesn't feel great, right? I'm up early. My routine right now is about 5.07 when I've got the coffee starting to brew. I break open the Word, and because I'm afraid I might fall asleep, I've got the Word in front of me, and it's also reading it in my ear because I've got one of those cool Bibles that'll do that, so I can follow along, and I'm engaging both of those senses. And then when I'm done with a few chapters in the Bible, I'll get out, you know, I'm working on my iPad, and I'll get out keyboard, and I'll start typing my prayers. I'm starting to journal my prayers, not so much because I want to go back to them, but because I need to focus. And if I don't, I'll i will get to, dear Jesus, thank you for today, I'm so happy for all that you've done in my life, Can I, right? And i so I'm just being real. So I'm taking, I'm making a choice to focus myself. And I've got some other things that I do. let see, I'm not just doing them because I want to check them off a list. Sometimes it feels like that. I'm doing them because I want the result that happens. In, in a similar vein, I've recently become, I've recently started running. I wouldn't call myself a runner because I'm not really all that good. But I started running. And the reason I started running initially was because I wanted to make some health changes in my life. You know, I'd lost some weight a few years ago. And I thought to myself, you know what? I want to take that a little bit further. But you know what? Sometimes running doesn't feel good. In fact, most of the time for me, I'm kind of not really enjoying it. It's never something that I wanted to do. But I picked it up because I believed it would make a change in my life. And it's done some things, right? Now I can run three whole miles nonstop. And I don't wish I could die until like the second mile. (laughs) Sometimes like two and a half. Right? It's the same thing with my devotional life. Sometimes I'm not feeling it. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes I'm wishing I could stop. But I want the result of that in my life. And I know that I can't have it any other way. That's going to take me to the postcard. Because the reason I'm doing that is because of something I'm thinking about. And I'm sure that you've already figured out that the postcard is something in the future. We've talked about the past, the present, and the future. But I'd like to break it down a little bit further. A postcard is something you send somebody when you're at a cool place and you want to let them know you're not here. You say, (laughs) you know, wish you were here. It's wonderful. We're having a great time. We miss you so much. Ha ha, you're not here. And I know that a few years ago, somebody must have done that in Destin. Somebody from Middle Tennessee went down to Destin, Florida, sent somebody a, a card and said, you know what, you're not here. And so now, we, we took a family vacation. We went down to Destin because that's what people from Middle Tennessee do. And everybody was there. And, you know, it's, it's great. You can walk down, well, you can drive down 30A at the speed of walking. And there are lots of people there, which is great for an introvert like me. But see, there are also some cool things that happen when you've got a bunch of people headed to the same destination, even if they don't know it. Because we ran into the Frasers while we were there. Didn't know that. It was delightful. It was about an eight-second interaction. But it was was really cool. The thing about those postcards is they can become a goal in our lives. That's what happened with me in running and trying to manage my health. You know, when I was younger, I wanted to lose weight because I wanted to look good and not be out of breath when I walked up a single flight of stairs or half a flight. Then I thought, well, you know what? Now that I'm older and I've got kids, I'd like to to live a little bit longer, but I wanted to take it a little little step further. See, I, I wanted to live long enough to see my kids do that whole walking down the aisle thing and have families and have enough vitality left that I can play with grandkids. And when that happens, I'll probably be in my late 60s, early 70s, so I knew that I needed to do something now. To take to take advantage of that. It's the same thing with our spiritual lives. If we don't have a good vision of where we're headed, it can make what we're doing now seem remarkably mundane. Even when you look up and you go, wow, I can run three miles. You go, but then what? A few years ago, in one of my daily devotion times, I was reading through the Bible as I, oops, not supposed to push that button. As I sometimes do, Um, I don't always read through the whole Bible in a year. Sometimes I read a few verses a day and meditate on them. It it just shifts, right? But when I was in Revelation, something really stood out to me. And I'm a little tight on time, so I'm not going to share the whole thing. But it's the picture of the throne room, right? And it really broke me down because I, I connected with it on a real level. And I thought, that's what this is about, so we're in a situation where basically everything is indescribable. I mean, they're talking about gems and crystal and glass and you know, rainbows coming out of thrones and all kinds of stuff like that. There are elders seated on thrones. There are living creatures that are shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when they do, the elders, they fall down and they say, you're worthy, O Lord, our God. To receive glory and honor and power. For by you all things are created. And, and so on. We see that there are thousands upon thousands. 10,000 upon 10,000 from every nation, tribe, and tongue that are all there. They're all worshiping. They're all saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal. They're saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. I got that backwards then you hear, to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, be go- praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the elders, and they fall down and they, they worship. And when I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking about painting a practical picture of getting a couple of our elders up here and just getting them to shout holy at each other, right? But that's not the point. It's great. Believe me, I connect with that, but that's not the point. The point is the indescribable. John, just kind of briefly as he's writing, passes by. But the point of this whole thing isn't the elders falling down. I wrote this down so I wouldn't mess it up. It isn't the elders falling down. It isn't the way the throne looks or the thousands upon thousands. It isn't an eternity of shouting, holy, holy, holy. The point isn't any of that. If I could get the worship team to come up, we're we're headed into the end. The point or the prize isn't heaven it isn't getting out of hell it isn't ending the pain of this life an eternity of worship isn't the prize escaping death or the earth isn't the prize being made whole isn't the prize singing and dancing isn't the prize hearing well done good and faithful servant isn't the prize the prize is god you see i'm not discounting that god gives us good gifts And that the things that we see in scripture are true. I believe in healing. I believe in God's blessing in our lives. I believe in the gifts and the fruit of the spirit. I believe that God is active in the world right now. But the point of the whole thing is God. A couple weeks ago, Scott Asher said this probably more succinctly than I ever could have. So I'm going to steal it from him. The point of the whole thing is we get God. All this other stuff is great, but everything pales in comparison to him. You see, when we see him, as he is, casting down our crowns and shouting, holy is nothing. Singing a new song isn't anything to talk about. We won't need someone to stand there and tell us to stand up and jump up and dance or shout or whatever it is that we do. Because we will see him and the natural response will be, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Some of you are probably looking for a point of clarity in your lives, either in your past, your present, and your future. So if those who are going to pray would come down, I would encourage you also to come down. I believe that there is a special anointing here today. I believe that God wants to accomplish something in our lives to help us understand how he's been working in our lives so that we can see clearly it'll change the way we act and it'll change what we share with others.
1: Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission show. We decided that we were going to leave Honolulu. We just felt that that was the direction that God was leading us. And I kind of had a freak out moment after we told our leaders that because my dad always told me, don't quit a job until you have another job lined up. So I'm I'm sitting on my couch one day and I'm just like, I just quit our job and we don't have anything else lined up. Like, what's going to happen? And I really just prayed, Lord, I want to be asked to go wherever... I go next. Like, I want someone to ask me. I want them to want me to be there. I feel like I have a gift set that is really abrasive if you don't want me there. Um, so, because I, I feel like I can see what's wrong in an organization and where it can improve. And then if you don't want to hear that, you're, you're not going to like me around. So it was really interesting because Jimmy called me up probably two days after I prayed that prayer. God, I want to be asked to go wherever I go next. And he called me up and just said, hey, we're running these red schools. And Jim, you when you go to a place, you make things better. And I want you to come out here and do that for us. Um, I've been told by multiple people that we need to get organized. And I know that you can help me do that. Would you come and move out to Tennessee? And then he's just like, well, why would you leave Hawaii to come to Tennessee? (laughs) And uh, so he. It was just, it was super interesting that, and I was just like, well, we just told Hawaii that we're done, so I will consider that, and uh, sent an email out to our prayer team and just said, hey, here's this offer on the table, sounds interesting, It sounds like there's God stuff already, just the the way it happened, and one person responded and said, "Uh, I'm just praying that God would supernaturally confirm that, really confirm that, and... Then the next day or two days later, we get an email out of the blue. No one knew what was going on about Tennessee besides the, the prayer team. And we get an email from someone that's not on the prayer team saying, I just feel like God's telling me to tell you if you are ever called to Tennessee, you can live in my home for free. And we're just like, well, there's the confirmation. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. Thanks for listening to The Engaging Missions Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.